just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hope your day is going well. It is a Friday. We're going into a weekend. And I'm back at home, back in Minnesota, back in my living room, in a much more comfortable situation when it comes to recording the podcast. I've got enough of the equipment, so when I do go on a road, it's not too bad, but it's just not the same. It's not as comfortable. So here I am doing a podcast like I'm normally used to doing a podcast. I'm hoping in the next couple of days we uh, get some uh, people as guests, um, probably doing a podcast with Ed later today. It's been a while for Ed. I've got at least one other listener that I think we're setting something up with. Um, If you're that listener, please email me again. I forget shit all the time, and I I don't know if I'll be able to find it all in my email, if I can go far enough to find it. There's also another guy um, who is a Trump humper who contacted me after the live I did on TikTok, and uh, he said he was willing to talk. And it was weird when I first started emailing with him. He was kind of like he was half a Trump humper, but not fully. And then he got warmed up and started talking some shit. And I said, you're my guy. (laughs) I would love to have you on the show. He was going to be on the show before I left for Vermont, but he couldn't make it that day. I said, so let's do it after I get back. We got all kinds of time. If you really want to do this, I would love to do it. I mean, to this day, the... The um, podcast I did with Brian Wallenberg, the Trump humper, far and away has got more listens than any other podcast I've done. So hell yeah, I'd like to do that again. Um, so we'll see. We'll see if he comes back and comes through or if he thought better of it after he had time to think about it. And there's another guy that I'm going to have on the show sometime soon. And it's it's kind of interesting. I met this guy. When I took an Uber from um, from where my Turo car was to uh, Burlington Airport, he was the uh, the Uber driver, and we got talking. He was very bright, very intellectual, very articulate guy, and that intrigued me. So we got talking, and it turns out this gentleman is a um, former professor. He's an author. He writes a lot about. Uh, racism and that sort of thing. He was a black man. And uh, he showed me a book. He's, you know, won some um, film festivals because they made a documentary on his stuff. I go, this guy, this guy's interesting. He's a good talker. So I did something I wouldn't normally do. I said, I said, you know, I'd like to have you on the podcast because I think people would be interested by it. And he said, absolutely. He gave me his card. So we're going to set something up. So that's uh, a departure for the podcast, but you know, as I've said many times, it's my fucking show. I'll do whatever I want, <laughs> but I think it will be interesting. This guy's an interesting guy. Uh, it'll be different than the psychologist I had on. That was interesting in its own right. But what interests me about him is he's written a number of books uh, concerning a lot of things, but but also racism. He has a documentary out. He's got another movie coming out too. Um, And since racism is at the source of just about anything that's a problem in this country, I think it's something we need to talk about. So I'm going to reach out to him later today and see if I can set something up. Anyhow, that's where we're at. We're back on track. We're back home. And we can start things out with an email. This comes from Lisa. She says, I live in West Central Illinois in the middle of Trumpville. I want to share with you something that I noticed yesterday. While Illinois is a blue state, the bottom two-thirds of the state is very red. Since 2021, political signs have strewn the landscape with saying such things as Trump 2024, Pritzker sucks, I think Pritzker is their governor, and let's go Brandon. I took the day off yesterday and drove to Hannibal, Missouri for a little tourism. 
on the way I saw only one Trump humper sign and very few political signs for the midterms. I find this really odd, particularly for my geographic area, and wonder if it could be indicative of voters being fed up with the Republican agenda. Thoughts? Lisa. I'm glad you bring this up. This, this, this reminds me of an annoyance I have with the media. The media just fucks with people, and they do it to stir things up. I've talked about this before. It's all about ratings to them. It's not about truth or fact or what's good for the country. It's about stirring shit up for ratings. You know, for a while, we heard, oh, the Republicans are going to take it. It's a a foregone conclusion. That's what history tells us they're going to win. And then recently they said, well, the Democrats are coming back and things are looking strong for the Democrats. And now I'm hearing some of them, oh, the Democrats are slipping. Now the Republicans are getting it back, which is absolute bullshit. As I said in a previous podcast, uh, you can take polls only so far because we know in 2016 all the polls said Hillary Clinton would win the presidential election, but instead Donald Trump won. So if they can be that far off, why would you believe them at all? It really depends on who they're sampling and who they're calling. Uh, And if they're only calling people with landlines, which is presumably the case, these are all older people. I mean, I'm an old guy. I don't have a fucking landline anymore. Who still has a landline? Well, some of you might. But it's a very specific group of people. It's not the younger people. So how valid is a poll where they only go to those people? Or if you're a newspaper who caters to the Republican Party and you do a poll, well, who's going to answer that poll? More than likely Republicans, because that's all who reads your fucking publication. So you have to take polls with a grain of salt. They aren't, they aren't always accurate, as we know. And as I've said all along, the Democrats continue to do things to shoot themselves in the foot. They overturn Roe v. Wade. They say they're going to try to end Medicare and Social Security. They're saying they want to crash the economy. Nothing they are planning to do, nothing they have in their platform is positive for America. Everything they talk about is destructive to America. So how does anybody vote for that? How does anybody think they're going to win with that strategy? It just makes no sense. Now, I could be wrong. I mean, we do have our fair share of dumb fucks in this country, people that are ill-informed or misinformed and just don't know any better. But I'm still having a problem seeing how this midterm can go the Republicans' way. It just makes no sense. I mean, back in the old days, 70s, 80s, if one candidate said one misquote or misstep, that pretty much submarine his whole candidacy. And now we got people being involved in pedophilia and lying and cheating and trying to overturn the country and take rights from half of this country. The question would be, is that just bullshit? Or are people so blind, so stupid, that they would actually vote for that? I, You know, I know there's stupid people in this country, but I just cannot believe there's a lot of people that stupid that would vote against this country, against their own interest. It just, there will be some, like the base, which is about 30%, but that isn't enough to win any elections. So, anyway, to, to answer the question... I would say to make a long story short, but I've already fucked that up for you, Lisa. It's a long story. But I think there are some Republicans backing away from Donald Trump and the Republican Party. Not the base. The 30% will be there no matter what. This fucker could do anything. The Republicans could say anything and they will buy into it because, well, frankly, they're stupid. But that said, there's a lot of people in the Republican Party that are a little more normal, maybe along the lines of Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney, people with a reasonable mind. Even they know that this stuff is ridiculous and unacceptable, and they're not going to align themselves with it. 
and they will step back from it. Um, and then you have the independents, too. They could go either way, Democrat or Republican. It's easy for them to say, well, you know, I could go either way, but the Republicans are fucked, so I'm not doing that. And this is what I've always said. Uh, there will be people who step away from it. Um, and it doesn't have to be all the Republicans stepping away. It doesn't have to be all the Republicans that see how criminal and corrupt the Republicans are. It only has to be a percentage of them to do that to win elections. This isn't about winning them all over. It's about winning elections. And you only need a couple of votes to win an election. So I, th- I think I think you're right. And I do find it surprising that you're going into Hannibal, Missouri, and you're not seeing all this Trump bullshit, because I would think it'd be hot and heavy down there. But I think people are just trying to cool it down a little bit. Um, there, there, there's been a lot of um, volatility with people who are Democrats and Republicans, and it's gotten a little out of hand. You got people losing businesses, losing family members, and it's become pretty costly at this point. And I think finally people are really realizing that and stepping back from it. I, I, I honestly believe that. You can only do this so long and fight so hard before you know you're pounding your head against the wall. And if you have any intelligence at all, you stop pounding your head against the wall. I can talk to a Republican as long as we don't engage in conspiracy theories and bullshit. I'll talk about politics with you. I won't argue with you. But if you insult me by saying something stupid, racist, misogynistic, anti-Semitic, or a conspiracy theory, I'm sorry. I'm not holding back at that point. And I think people have gotten beaten up enough. I think people are getting hip to saying, look, you can believe that if you want, but it's time you come up with some facts to back up what you're saying. That's what I'm looking forward to when this this Trump humper, if he comes through and actually comes on the show, he makes a lot of statements, a lot of rhetoric that we hear from Republicans. The thing is, nobody ever sits him down and say, okay, you believe that. Tell me why. Show me the facts. And they'll say something like, well, everybody's saying it or it's in this or that. They don't have facts. And when you press them like that, they don't. You don't have to argue or yell or scream with them. That's exactly what they want you to do. They want you to create chaos and uncertainty and bullshit. That's the only way they win. When you talk to them straight, they have problems coming up with answers. And I think what we're seeing is a lot of Republicans now having a difficult time supporting the things that they've said they believe because there are no facts. There is no truth to it. And if people are halfway mature and halfway intelligent, they're just going to step back and say nothing. Now, these Republicans of a normal mind may not bend and go Democratic, but what they will do is not vote for the Republicans, the crazy ones anyway. And frankly, that's just as good as them voting for the Democrats if they don't vote at all. We're seeing that... uh, in Georgia and some other early voting states that people are coming out in mass. I think in Georgia, over a period of three days, they had like 350 or 375,000 voters come out. That's unprecedented in a midterm. You don't see that kind of turnout. And what they're seeing in these early stages is it's not that far off from 2020, which in its own right is amazing. If you're getting almost as many uh, voters in the midterms as you were in the presidential election, if that's how it plays out, well, that's good news for the Democrats. When there's more voters, the Democrats always win. I think some of this is weighing on the Republicans' mind. They're tired of fighting about it, and they can't fight about it anymore. If they have a reasonable mind and they're halfway mature, they can't argue for racism. They can't argue for overturning Roe v. Wade. When 70% of this country supports Roe v. Wade, that encompasses certainly men and Republicans. There are Republicans that have supported Roe v. Wade from the beginning. 
So you may be right. I hope you're right that people are finally getting the message and saying, you know, that is pretty fucked up. I'm going to step back. Lisa, thanks for the email. I appreciate it immensely. Now, I've gotten this question a lot of times, and I think we have an answer now, a definitive answer for that matter. Um, We know that Lindsey Graham was subpoenaed to testify in Georgia for the um, attempt to overthrow or overturn the election in Georgia by Donald Trump and Lindsey Graham. Now, Lindsey Graham was subpoenaed, and he's been fighting like hell to not have to testify. Well, I did it because it was part of my job as a senator. Well, you're the senator of South Carolina, motherfucker, not Georgia, so it's not part of your job. He would argue his point. Others would argue their point. Well, now a judge has agreed. Yeah, he's got to testify. A federal appeals court ruled Thursday that Senator Lindsey Graham must testify before a Georgia grand jury investigating Donald Trump and his campaign over their alleged efforts to upend the state's 2020 election results. Graham, of course, Trump's buddy, had sought to block a subpoena demanding his appearance. He's been fucking with this for months and months. Um... All they want to do is question him about the conversations he had with Georgia election officials after President Joe Biden won the state's electoral college. They don't even need to talk to him about what Donald Trump did. This dumb motherfucker called um, Raffensperger and maybe some other elected uh, or election officials like twice. He called twice. The South Carolina senator is under scrutiny in this investigation because Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, who oversees the elections for the state, says Graham called him in the aftermath of the 2020 election to ask if he could disqualify mail-in ballots in counties with signature errors. Though Raffensperger says it was clear Graham was suggesting he throw out ballots, Graham holds that he simply called him to ask how the process worked and to protect the integrity of mail-in voting. The question is, why is he concerned about mail-in voting in Georgia when he's a senator for South Carolina? The implication is that he was pressuring Raffensperger because he's a U.S. senator. The ruling from a three-judge panel on the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals upholds a lower court ruling that said Graham must appear though there will be a limit on the range of questions he can be asked before the jury. So they're saying, yep, motherfucker, you are going to be testifying. Now, you know, I guess he could could appeal it to the Supreme Court. But we see how it went with Donald Trump when he appealed that to the Supreme Court. The fact of the matter is these lawsuits by... Donald Trump and Lindsey Graham are so fucking frivolous. Every time they send it to the Supreme Court, it's like it's an insult to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is fucked up in its own right, but it's not even going to deal with this small bullshit because they got plenty of other things to deal with. And the fact that Lindsey Graham and Donald Trump think they're so important that they will look at it and also side with them is just fucking delusional. It's absolutely fucking delusional. Well, Donald Trump is a little steamed up. (laughs) Well, he's been ranting and raving a lot with all the things falling on top of him. But Donald Trump Thursday tore into a California judge he called a partisan hack after stating in a ruling that the former president filed a lawsuit claiming election fraud that he knew was false. Now, that's the story we were talking about the other day. This is going to be a big problem for Donald Trump because what he did is commit a crime and it's in black and white. The thing about it is, is he was claiming election fraud. But now there are emails from uh, his lawyer that says this is not fraud. This is perfectly legal and, and we really can't do anything about it. Well, of course, Donald Trump ignored that and signed this document. 
Well, unfortunately, this document is an official court document. Um, And if you sign something knowing that it's untrue, well, that is perjury. And that means yet another crime for Donald Trump and the potentiality of jail time. (laughs) I got to tell you, I've never seen a guy step on his dick so many times than I've seen Donald Trump do it. Every time he opens his mouth, he fucks himself up. He makes poor decisions because he thinks he's the smartest one in the room and he's not even close. I've said that before. There's nobody more dangerous to everybody, including themselves, is the guy that thinks he's a genius and is, in fact, an idiot. And that's exactly what Donald Trump is. Trump was named Wednesday in a decision by the U.S. District Court Judge David Carter, who ruled that the attorney John Eastman's emails with the former president were not protected attorney-client communications because they may be evidence of a crime. Donald Trump loves throwing that around. Attorney-client privileges, executive privileges. Well, those privileges are fine. Even if they were privileged in this situation, the fact that it was in the commission of trying to commit a crime, yeah, that negates any privilege. The privilege is gone. The emails are sufficiently related to and in furtherance of a conspiracy to defraud the United States, Carter wrote in his 18-page ruling. So um, the judge is saying, this is illegal. I'm a judge, a federal judge, and I can see it. That is a crime. Now, the emails he wrote demonstrate an effort by President Trump and his attorneys to press false claims in federal court for the purpose of delaying the January 6th vote. Trump filed certain lawsuits uh, not to obtain legal relief, but to disrupt or delay the January 6th congressional proceedings through the courts. And see, this is the thing you don't fucking do. And this is one of the things that the um, that Donald Trump's current lawyers have been trying to avoid. In the case with the top secret documents, Donald Trump made all kinds of claims. I declassified them. They were planted by the FBI. All this bullshit. But whenever you see the lawyers make a filing, they never say that directly. They kind of walk around it. They never say, yeah, there was planted documents. Yeah, they were uh, declassified. Because then, of course, they're going to be asked to prove it. And if they can't prove it, once again, you not only have Donald Trump, but now you have his lawyers committing a crime by lying in federal court. We've already seen this happen when... uh, The National Archives came down and got the 15 boxes. They said, yeah, there's more top secret documents. Donald Trump said no. The lawyers wrote a document and said no, there's no more. So they do the search, and of course there's more. That in itself is a crime. That's lying to the court. That is perjury. So Donald Trump just keeps doing this to himself. He's a fucking idiot. And and this is the problem I, I have to wonder Now, these lawyers apparently have law degrees. They're fairly educated. They know better. They have to know when Donald Trump tells them to do something. They have to know if it's illegal or if it's wrong. But they're such sycophants that they will do it anyway. Do they honestly believe they're going to get away with it? Do they believe that Donald Trump um, can save them if they get in trouble? Because he can't. What we're seeing out of the lawyers for Donald Trump down in Mar-a-Lago and Bedminster and such, they're actually supporting him no matter what he says, no matter how legal it is, and no matter what kind of risk it puts these lawyers at, is the same problem that the people working with Donald Trump in the White House were having. And it's a weird dynamic. It's a dynamic I'm familiar with. And the dynamic is, don't piss off daddy. Do everything you can not to piss off daddy. Now, the way I know this is I've told you before, I had a father who was a narcissist, and he would yell and scream and rant and rave and say horrible shit to his kids. So naturally, when your kids 
It scares you when your dad's yelling these things, you're a piece of shit, you're an animal, all that kind of stuff, when you hear that. And of course, as a little kid, you don't want to hear that, so you do everything you can to avoid it. You do whatever daddy says so daddy doesn't lose his shit on you, okay? I think we're looking at the same thing when we're looking at people who worked with him in the White House and the lawyers that are currently working with them. They're so afraid of the blowback or the yelling or the screaming or the threats or whatever it is that they will do anything to avoid it. Well, now that's ill-advised because it's going to get them in trouble. It's going to get some of the people that work with Donald Trump in the White House indictments because they were afraid to confront Donald Trump. And, of course, the same goes for the lawyers. They're going to have their problems, too, because they're supporting things that they know are wrong, that are crimes, that are corrupt. And they're going to get caught up in this shit, ultimately. But it all goes back to not want to making Daddy mad. I don't want to deal with this. Now, I will tell you, my experience dealing with a narcissistic dad when I was young uh, wanting to do the same thing and, and avoid getting the blowback or the arguments or the wrath of my father because it was not pleasant. And when you're a young kid, you're scary. It's scary. And you're scared. Um, and you will do everything you can to avoid it. And as much as that was a terrible thing back when I was a young kid, it taught me a couple of things that have been very valuable to me in my life now. First of all, and I think I've mentioned this before, uh, because I was so fearful of the reaction by my father, um, I learned how to read people. I watched him very closely, his facial expressions, his movements, his voice, his eyes, all that stuff. And I could tell which way he was going. And when I realized he was going dark, I would try to find a way by distraction or whatever to get him off that track on a more pleasant track. But the other thing this, uh, this taught me is something that most people don't feel comfortable with. Most people don't. The only people that typically feel comfortable with this are the bullies, the narcissist. And that's not being afraid of confrontation. When you've been put in that situation so many times, at some point you either fold up and die or you stand up to it. And in my life, I got to a point where I got bigger, I got smarter, and I just stood up to it. And uh, it went pretty much as you expected. They, My father backed off because he wasn't going to mess with a kid who's 18 now who's in shape and probably could kick his ass. He's a coward, so he ran away. After that, the only time he ever yelled about my brother and I, he did it to my mother so she would tell us. That's how big a coward he was. So as I've grown older, something that served me pretty well and gives me an advantage, and it's something you should think about because it'll give you an advantage too. Most people will do anything they can do to avoid confrontation. Now, I don't go looking for confrontation. I don't want confrontation. But if I'm present, presented with a confrontation, I'm all in, man. I'm not afraid of a confrontation, especially if I know I'm right. Now, it's important to understand how you deal with that confrontation. You don't engage in a big yelling match in a fight and get physical or anything. You stay calm. You state your facts. And you keep pressing. And you keep pushing. You're strong, but you're not out of control. That is the thing that fucks with these people the most. Now, of course, going back to the political part of this, the Donald Trump part of it, we've got these lawyers and people who worked in the White House that don't understand that. They couldn't imagine pushing back because they would lose their jobs or Donald Trump would tear them up on Twitter or whatever the fuck. So they were scared to death. Once they took the jobs, they thought it was a great thing and they thought that they would um, gain great attention and experience and their lives would be good going on beyond Donald Trump. But Donald Trump does exactly what every narcissist does. He tears everybody 
down around him. Anybody who comes close to him or outshines him, they're fucking done for. And we saw that with Donald Trump in the White House. So it's a no-win situation unless you go head-to-head with this motherfucker. And not many people would do it. And people still get caught up in that thing. Well, we got to keep daddy happy. And that's what they're doing. And they're doing it at their own risk. They're doing it to their own detriment. Because make no mistake, Donald Trump will take down everybody around him. And he will be the last one to fall. Because that's the way narcissists do it. Um, So when I look at these things, I'm amazed that these people aren't standing up and saying, fuck this, this is crazy, I'm stepping away. But they don't feel like they can. They feel like they're trapped. If they do what he says, they're going to be in trouble. But that's down the road, so it's easier to accept that. But if they say, fuck you, Donald, I'm not having this, not only do they lose their job, but Donald Trump is going to eviscerate them in the media. And this scares them. So these people who work for Donald Trump and the lawyers for Donald Trump, I'm guessing they feel like fucking hostages right now. They maybe want to get out, but they don't think they can get out. And some of them are having a problem doing it. All right, let's take a quick break and we will be right back. So do you remember when Marjorie Taylor Greene was interviewed about the insurrection? She said, I had nothing to do with that. Nothing at all to do with it. When that insurrection happened, I'd only been working on the job for three days. I think most of us don't believe that. We know she was involved, and now some evidence has come up that kind of suggests she was involved. So brand new text messages show that Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene tried and ultimately failed to recruit then-Senator Kelly Leffler in her plan to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election on January 6, 2021. Now, as the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reports, Green reached out to Leffler on December 2, 2020, to gauge her willingness to help with a plan to throw out certified election results on January 6th. She said, I need you to talk, need to talk with you about a plan we are developing on how to vote on the electoral colleges on January 6th. I need a senator, and I think this is a major help for you to win on the 5th. While Leffler was unresponsive to the request, Green would text her again on December 20th to invite her to a meeting at the White House to further discuss the plot. This is the woman that had nothing to do with it. She knew nothing about it, but she was strategizing, planning, and plotting for the insurrection. Now, a note she wrote went on to say, Hi, Kelly, I've organized a meeting with President Trump, his legal team, and members of electoral college votes for Joe Biden in several key states on January 6th. It's tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Can you come to the White House? It's an informational meeting and planning session. According to the AGC, Leffler consulted her aides about how to reply. She didn't want any part of it. And good for Kelly Leffler. And they told her to say she was spending the day with then first daughter Ivanka Trump. So Kelly Leffler was hearing this from Marjorie Taylor Greene, and she was probably saying, yeah, you know, I'd like to win. I lost the election, uh, but uh, this bitch is batshit crazy. This bitch is batshit crazy. So even though Kelly Leffler lost, did she lose to Ossoff or uh, Warnock? I'm not sure. Um, but... She lost her race, and she was willing to accept it like a normal adult human being would. And now these texts and these emails come out that show Green is trying to recruit her, trying to talk her into it. And you notice the part where she said, I've organized a meeting with President Trump. I'll tell you what went on there. When she first approached Leffler, she said, I need a senator, and I think this is a major help for you to win on the 5th. 
And when Kelly Leffler did not respond to that, because uh, Donald Trump was behind this whole thing, he was encouraging Marjorie Taylor Greene to do this because this would be a Trump play. When she wouldn't respond, Donald Trump thought, well, we'll get her in a meeting with me. Surely she'll come to meet the president. And when she comes, I'm a fucking genius, so I'll talk her into it. Marjorie, you didn't do a very good job. I'll just fucking handle it. Now, I'm uh, supposing here, but based on what I know about Donald Trump, I can see that's exactly what probably happened. She, He was trying to get Marjorie Taylor Greene to do his bidding, and when she couldn't pull it off, he said, fuck it, I'll just do it myself. Get her to a meeting, and we'll just do it my way. Well, even still... Kelly Leffler said, fuck that, I'm still not coming, I'm busy. And then she made up some bullshit thing. Oh, I'm going to be with uh, Ivanka Trump. You can just see him. we got to tell him something, why we won't come to see the president, and it better be good. So suggesting that she'd be with Ivanka Trump would be the one thing that would probably be accepted by Donald Trump. <laughs> the funny thing is, is that Marjorie Taylor Greene's exactly like Donald Trump. Every time she says something, she puts her foot in her mouth. I had nothing to do with the insurrection. Well, clearly, in these text messages and these emails, she had everything to do with the planning and the strategizing. She said as much in these emails. Things aren't going to play out well for Marjorie Taylor Greene. I don't know if she'll win or lose her election on November 8th. She could win because it is a highly red district and they aren't the brightest fucking people and they would probably vote for Marjorie Taylor Greene over a black man, Marcus Flowers, a black man of all things. Goodness sakes, they couldn't possibly do that. So she could win her election and remain in the House, but only temporarily. Because she was involved in the insurrection, ultimately, I really believe she and a number of other Republican representatives will be expelled based on the 14th Amendment. We'll see what happens, but to suggest she wasn't involved is absolute bullshit, and the proof is in the pudding. I tell you what, emails and text messages are going to be the downfall of many a Trumplefuck. They weren't smart enough to cover it up, and now this stuff is coming to light. I'm thinking there's a lot more uh, emails and text messages that uh, the J6 committee and the DOJ have already seen that we just haven't heard about yet. But when it comes out, especially all the communications uh, with the sitting members of Congress, the Trumplefucks in Congress, this is going to blow them fucking out of the water. And as far as I'm concerned, this information blows Marjorie Taylor Greene out of the water. She clearly was involved. She clearly was strategizing and plotting on her own accord. So it's going to be impossible to defend against that. There's another guy who's kind of a clown. You still hear him rattling around. I think he's an author. I don't know what the fuck he was, but Donald Trump put him on the payroll and put him in the administration. His name is Cash Patel. He was an advisor to Trump. Well, here's the deal. Cash Patel has been talking all kinds of shits and lies and, 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 and conspiracy theories and that sort of thing. Well, he just testified before the federal grand jury investigating the documents recovered from Mar-a-Lago. Now, Cash Patel is one of these guys saying, it's just a storage problem. That's all it is. But Cash Patel isn't completely ignorant. He's criminal, he's corrupt, and he's a liar, and he's a conspiracy theorist. But when he had to actually sit down with the federal grand jury... I got to think he wasn't really willing to perjure himself and go to jail. See, the problem with Donald Trump, Donald Trump is a pathological liar. Everybody around him is a pathological liar. Now, everything that's talked about in a grand jury is secret, so nobody knows what was said there. We don't know. But Donald Trump doesn't know either. And since Donald Trump is a pathological liar and his 
lackeys like Cash Patel are pathological liars, and they're all in it for themselves. I got to think that Donald Trump is being is a little concerned about what Cash Patel reported. Cash does not want to perjure himself. That's not going to go well for him if he does that. So we don't know for sure, but Cash Patel could very well have thrown Donald Trump under the bus, and he's one of his closest advisors. Now, Patel spent several hours throughout the morning of October 13th before a grand jury at the U.S. courthouse in Washington, D.C., but it's, it's not clear if Patel answered the grand jury's questions or declined to respond, citing his Fifth Amendment protections, which is within his rights, and he could have done. Um, now, prior to joining the Trump administration, Patel was a top aide to then-representative Devin Nunes. You know that name, that fucking clown, who resigned his post in the House of Representatives to take over the CEO job of Truth Social, which is going down the shitter now. Good call, Devin. Now, he is one of a handful of advisors around Donald Trump after his presidency who could have legal risk related to the Mar-a-Lago situation, according to the court records. It's unclear if he's a target of the Justice Department probe at this point. Uh, Patel served as a national security and defense official during the administration. And this summer became one of Trump's designees, 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 whatever, Uh, the person to deal with and interact with the National Archives and the Justice Department as both agencies have tried to repossess classified documents Trump kept from his pregnant, uh, presidency. So that's that's where Cash Patel gets into trouble. He's one of these people that are saying, oh, it's just a storage problem. He doesn't have top secret documents. He owns them. He declassified them. You see, if Cash Patel continues with that story, he's just as culpable as probably Donald Trump. So this guy, as tough as he likes to act and as cool as he tries to be, he's shitting himself right now. You don't get, you don't testify in front of the grand jury and play the tough guy. You tell the fucking truth or you go to jail. And since he's not in jail, you have to presume that he told the truth. Now, he could have pled the fifth, but that's really not going to help him much. That's basically saying, you don't know if I'm guilty yet, but I can't answer that because it might prove me guilty. So now they know he's guilty. He could have pled the fifth, but I have a feeling he didn't. Because I think the reason most people plead the fifth is because they're afraid of Donald Trump hearing about the testimony and getting mad and seeking retribution. Again, a grand jury is all secret. So Cash Patel could tell the truth, could throw Donald Trump under the bus without Donald Trump knowing that, at least for now. So I think there is a reasonable possibility that he testified in full because he's got to be scared shitless at this point. He does not want to go to jail. Now, one of the other people sitting members of Congress that has a good shot at going to jail, maybe the dumbest person to ever be in Congress. Of course, I'm talking about Lauren Boebert. She very well may be the least qualified member of the House of Representatives, The congresswoman from the state of Colorado earned a GED after dropping out of high school. And she did it like six months before she won the election. So she's not the sharpest gal. She had also shown little aptitude for the rules and regulations that govern congresspeople. Now, (laughs) the ironic thing is we hear that she is a former paid escort, that she had some kind of deal with Ted Cruz. I don't know what Ted was involved with it, or the Koch family. Apparently, the Koch family and Ted Cruz got involved with Lauren Boebert. Why would a U.S. senator and one of the richest people in the world be involved with a woman in a small town in Colorado who just got her GED? What could possibly be the interest of these folks? Now, one of the things I supposed that one of the Koch sons got 
involved with her, maybe got her in trouble. And the coke says, we can't have this. We can't have this exposed, so we need to cover this up or change her track or whatever or get her something to keep her happy so she doesn't talk. So they go to one of their lackeys, one of the people they own, and that would be Senator Ted Cruz, and say, look, Ted, let's make this woman a a, a congressperson. You've got the pull. You've got the leverage. You've got the know-how. You can find her some money and make her a candidate for the House of Representatives. I don't know if they ever imagined she'd fucking win, but... I have a feeling that's the way it went down. Now, Boebert frequently injects religion into her speeches, which is ironic for a former escort to make up for the complete and utter lack of policy issues. (laughs) When they say that, it reminds me of something. And I hope I don't have any Mormons in the audience that I'm uh, offending when I say this. But this is true. When I lived in a small town in Arizona, I grew up a Lutheran, but I wasn't religious in any particular way. I believed in God, but I wasn't in organized religion. And those Mormon missionaries would come to the door frequently and want to pitch me on their religion. And I always let them in, not because I really had an interest in talking to them, but because my landlord and my boss and just about everybody else in town I dealt with were Mormons. So I wasn't in a position at 19 years old to offend the Mormons in this town. Otherwise, I'd be done for. So I'd bring them in and I'd get them into a debate. And they always did the same thing. If I asked a question or made a statement that they couldn't respond to, They would always say, well, I know because I have a burning in my heart. That was their go-to bullshit line. They didn't have an answer. I know because of the burning in my heart. God tells me it's true. And apparently that's what Lauren Boebert does here. She can't talk about policies, so she diverts to religion. Now, Boebert said during a speech to the Tennessee GOP, we are in the last days of the last days. Seriously, Lauren, you're telling us we're in end times like you would fucking know? She goes on to say, you get to be part of ushering in the second coming of Jesus. Now, when it comes to the end of the world and the second coming of Jesus, you know, I'm not a theologian. I'm not a scholar of the Bible at all. But I certainly know that in the Bible it says when that happens, it'll come like a thief in the night, meaning nobody will know that it's happening. Nobody will know that it's happening. But somehow, former escort Lauren Boebert knows. This is why I have a trouble with the evangelicals. They tell us things about God as if they know. Well, isn't it true that God is kind of incomprehensible? They'll say, you can't do this, you can't, he can do this, God can do this, but he won't do that. Look, if you really believe in God, you know God can do fucking anything, at any time, anywhere. Nothing is impossible. So when evangelicals, or Lauren Boebert for that matter, tell us about restrictions or specifics about God, I'm sorry, I'm just not buying it. Just not buying it. Now, of course, Boebert's version of Jesus is very different from the one that appears in the Bible. She said during a September uh, September speech in Tampa, Florida, this is what she said. We know that we are in the last days of the last days. Really? Lauren, how? How do you know that? What? I mean, did did an angel come to you? Did God talk to you directly? How do you know? You say we all know, but do we all know? But it's not a time to complain about it, she says. It's not a time to get upset about it. It's a time to know that you were called to be part of the last days. You get to have a role in ushering in the second coming of Jesus. And she suggests that the Jesus of old is not the Jesus of now. (laughs) It's fucking amazing to me. 
how people will shove religion down people's throats only because they don't have to explain it. All they have to do is say, well, God said so, and we're supposed to buy it. Well, I have to consider the source, and I'm sorry Lauren Boebert isn't my go-to for questions about God or Jesus or anything like that. What Lauren Boebert is doing is the same thing that Donald Trump and the evangelicals and everybody else do. They can't win with facts and policy and truth and all that sort of thing, so they decide they're going to fool the lowest common denominator. And I've said it, the evangelicals, the Trumplefucks, they are the lowest common denominator. Unfortunately for them, the lowest common denominator doesn't make up a majority of this country. I mean, they always say that. They'll say, everybody knows this. Everybody believes this. Everybody knows Joe Biden wasn't elected. But it's just bullshit. It's just absolute bullshit. And some people will believe them. But it's just another bully trying to roll over the top of you with more bullshit. And you've got to push back against it. Don't listen to that shit. It's not true. Not even close to true. There's no way they can verify or support it. They just say it and it's so. Lauren Boebert and people of her ilk think that the moment something comes out of her mouth, it's as if it was direct from Jesus. It is not. It is bullshit. All right, Donald Trump is responding to the January 6th committee's subpoena of documents and testimony by hiring attorneys, more attorneys, another law firm, to negotiate on his behalf. Why wouldn't he just blow it off like he does everything else? Now he's negotiating with the January 6th committee. While he has previously floated the notion of talking to the panel, he made no apparent move to actually do so until the decision was made to issue an order. Now, near the end of the House Select Committee's ninth public hearing, of course, they held a vote. They said they're going to subpoena him uh, with regards to events around January 6th. Now, committee members have already discussed the possibility that Trump will dodge the requirement to testify by delaying and running out the clock until the committee is disbanded, but they're not too worried about that. I mean, I've said that before. I don't think anybody expects him to actually testify. It was more to fuck with his head, more to taunt him a bit. Adam Kinzinger, for one, has explained that he's confident that the Department of Justice will handle anything the panel leaves undone. And that's and that's really true. I think a lot of people think that the January 6th committee is the end game, and it's not. It's just bringing the evidence and the witnesses to the surface. If we're talking about indictments or pressing charges or trials, that's on the DOJ. Really, the benefit of the January 6th committee to going after Donald Trump is exposing all that evidence to us. And as long as we know about the evidence, that puts pressure on the DOJ to do what they need to do. I know some people are thinking, is the January 6th committee going to refer some criminal charges for a bunch of people? And they might, and they probably will. However, It's not necessary for them to do that. They don't have to do that. That's just what they do in normal situations if they do an investigation and it's not as publicized as it is now. You can bet the DOJ is listening to every January 6th committee hearing and also asking for all the evidence, which they will ultimately get. So whether the January 6th committee actually refers anybody criminally, it doesn't really matter. Whatever goes on in the committee hearings doesn't really matter directly as far as indictments and that sort of thing. All it does is expose the evidence so we all know. And with us all knowing, that puts the pressure on the DOJ to get something done. Now, Politico reports Trump has selected a law firm to handle the task. I think it's called Dillon Law Group which has represented other witnesses and is managed by Harmeet Dillon, chair of the Republican National Lawyers Association. Oh, a little partisan there. 
Now, Dylan has already made her position clear on subpoenas related to election scheming, telling Tucker Carlson she thinks Trump's associates are simply being subpoenaed as an intimidation technique to frighten away his supporters. And, you know, she may be right about that. She might be right about that. But nonetheless, Donald Trump is talking about testifying. Now, here's what I think one of two things are happening here. Donald Trump will go into negotiations to testify, and he'll ask for ridiculous shit that the J6 committee will not do, and he will not testify. And then he'll run around saying, well, I wanted to testify, but they were hiding things. They weren't treating me right. I'm the victim. That's what he'll do. He's trying to get some, you know, public opinion on his side and play the victim. That's one thing that could be happening. The other thing that could be happening is he could see himself in so much trouble that he needs to do something other than what he's doing at this point. And because he's a narcissist, he thinks he's very smart, very articulate, and he can talk his way out of anything. That maybe he can expose some of these people on the January 6th committee, none of which he will be able to do. He's not that smart. He's not that articulate. He will be torn to shreds. I guess there's the third thing he could plead, the fifth, but that doesn't do him any good. That just makes him look more guilty. Now, he did say, I'll do it as long as it's live on TV. I'm sure the J6 committee is saying, cool. Now we'll get the biggest audience ever. We will get not only the Democrats, but the Republicans seeing their Lord and Savior tear up the J6 committee. But he won't be able to do that (laughs) because he's a fucking idiot. So I'm sure they're licking their chops and hoping he does agree, and they do it live on television, and watch him shit himself. Because I've always said, Donald Trump, you let him talk, he'll fucking crucify himself, and that's what he'll do if he actually shows up to the January 6th committee. Now that said, even if he doesn't show up to the January 6th committee, at some point the DOJ is going to say, you need to get here and you need to talk. He's not going to have the luxury of having options. He's going to have to go, much like he had to go to testify in the E. Jean Carroll case and how he will ultimately have to testify with Georgia. All right. I have one last story as we're wrapping things up here, and it's uh, kind of disgusting. But it really shows the kind of people we're dealing with when we're talking about Republicans. A Republican running for an Arizona college district's governing board. Not a big politician, but he's running for a governing board. Suspended his campaign Tuesday, two weeks after he was arrested for allegedly masturbating outside a preschool at one of the colleges he was hoping to represent. Police found candidate Randy Kaufman on October 4th parked outside the Child Center at Rio Salado College with his pants down to his mid-thigh and manipulating his genitals in a masturbatory manner. He was jerking off, quite frankly. Kaufman was in full view of the campus, Wurtzies Preschool and Child Care Center, where several preschool-aged children were playing outside, the report said. Seriously? The officer said upon finding the Republican playing with himself, I'm sorry, Kaufman alleged to have told the officer, I fucked up. I'm real stressed. Well, the question is, when you're stressed out, what's the first thing you do? Maybe eat, maybe smoke, maybe drink. Not this guy. He says, let's go to a preschool and masturbate in the fucking parking lot. And that's a Republican. Kaufman said he was out uh, buying rebar nearby, but was so stressed out that he pulled into the lot to relieve himself without realizing what the lot was for. (laughs) Then you're really stupid. First of all, masturbating in public, and then not knowing you're going into a child center's parking lot. 
The alleged pervert quit his campaign Tuesday to be on the Maricopa County Community College Governing Board after media reports detailing the arrest were circulated. Twelve News reported the panel oversees ten colleges, including the one Kaufman was caught fondling himself in. So not only is he not going to be able to run for office, even though it's a minor office, He's probably going to lose whatever job he has. He's probably going to have to register as a sex offender, and his life is done. And you know what? Good thing. This guy's a creep. This guy's an animal. He should not be in the wild because God knows what he's capable of. It's always so ironic. The Republicans will accuse the Democrats of being pedophiles, and then the next day something like this happens. And it's the the Republicans that are being exposed for being pedophiles or perverts or losers or idiots. I wonder if he got the rebar. Yeah, you don't want to forget that. Probably doesn't need to anymore because his fucking job is over. All right. We're going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for spending time with me today, taking the time out of your day. I hope you have a great day. And of course, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.